0: Hello, this is Dr. Pengsheng Qian, the Editor-in-Chief of Heart Rhythm. I'm summarizing the March 2022 issue of the journal. The first article is, Adding six short lines on pulmonary vein isolation circumferences reduces recurrence of paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. Results from the multicenter single-blind randomized trial. In this multicenter single-blind randomized trial, a total of 390 patients with paroxysmal AF were randomly assigned to the PVI alone group, which includes 193 patients, or the PVI plus 6-line group, uh, including 197 patients. The authors found that the freedom from atrial tachyarrhythmia was achieved in 160 over 197 patients or 81.2% in the PVI plus 6L group and 142 of 193 patients or 73.6% in the PVI alone group. The authors conclude that in patients with paroxysmal AF undergoing castor ablation, adding six short ablation lines on the PVI circumferences could reduce the AF recurrence rate. A second paper is titled Long Term Monitoring of Arrhythmias with Cardiovascular Implantable Electronic Devices in Patients with Cardiac Sarcoidosis. A retrospective study was performed in 547 predominantly Caucasian patients with extracardiac sarcoidosis screened for cardiac involvement. In total, 105 patients were included, and the mean follow-up was 33 months. The authors found that in cardiac sarcoidosis patients without overt cardiac symptoms at initial presentation, the annualized overall event rate was 1.7%. It was 10% in high-risk patients, but only 0.4% in low-risk patients. In low-risk patients, long-term arrhythmia monitoring with an ILR enabled early detection of clinically important arrhythmias without showing impact on prognosis. The next one is implantable cardioverter defibrillator lead implantation diagnostic alerts facilitate the diagnosis of structural lead failure. The purpose of this study was to prospectively study the performance of Medtronic ICD lead monitoring alerts. In 4,942 patients who were followed for 19 months, there were 124 uh, alerts. Lead monitoring alerts had 100% sensitivity for the 48 adjudicated lead failures. The positive predictive value of alerts for lead failure was 38.7% or 48 of 124. However, the sensitivity was only 13.6% for lead dislodgements or perforations. The authors conclude that the lead monitoring alerts had 100% sensitivity for identifying lead failures. Although their positive predictive value was modest, no false positive alerts resulted in an unnecessary lead replacement. For the diagnosis of PACE sense lead failure, an alert for oversensing was more sensitive than a pacing impedance threshold alert. Next up is magnetic field-induced interactions between phones containing magnets and cardiovascular implantable electronic devices flipped it to be safe, question mark. The purpose of this prospective single-center observational study was to quantify the risk of magnetic uh, magnetic field interactions of the iPhone 12 with CIEDs. Ex vivo magnetic interference occurred in 84.6%, with the back compared to 46.2%, with the front of the iPhone 12 facing the CIED. In vivo, the activation of the magnet-sensitive switch occurred in 30 CIED patients, or 18.3%, when the iPhone 12 was placed in close proximity over the CIED pocket, and the back of the phone was facing the skin. The authors conclude that magnetic field interactions occur only in close proximity and with precise alignment of the iPhone 12 and the CIEDs. It is important to advise CIED patients to not put iPhone 12 directly on the skin above the CIED. Further recommendations are not necessary. The following article is Brady Arrhythmia's Detected by Extended Rhythm Recording in patients undergoing trans- uh, castor aortic valve replacement, uh, or Brady-Tover study. This was a prospective single-center study in patients undergoing TAVER. Patients received an ECG patch for two weeks pre, immediately post, and a two to three months post-Tover. Pacemaker implantation occurred in 12 patients, or 12.5%. Of whom 9 or 9.4% underwent implantation during their index hospitalization, while 3 or 3.1% required implantation post-discharge for indications other than heart block. Significant baseline predictors for the need for pacemaker included the presence of right bundle branch block and increased QRS duration. Brady arrhythmias detected by the ECG patch did not predict the need for pacemaker at either the index hospitalization or the follow-up period. The authors conclude that Brady arrhythmias are common and can be detected with extended ECG monitoring before and after TAVR. However, they did not predict the need for pacemaker after TAVR. Coming up is a risk factor for atrial ventricular block after occlusion for perimembranous ventricular septal defect. The authors revealed 1,884 patients with perimembranous VSD who had undergone successful device occlusion between June 2005 and January 2020. In total, 14 patients or 0.7% developed a permanent complete AV block. Of these patients, 10 or 0.5% required pacemaker implantation. The authors conclude that the incidences of permanent complete AV block after occlusion for perimembrous VSD and the pacemaker implantation were 0.7% and 0.5% respectively. The ratio of device to defect size was the only independent risk factor for permanent complete AV block. Device removal is an effective therapeutic modality for recovering normal conduction in acute and subacute complete AV block patients. Next up is high-density epicardial mapping in Brugada syndrome, depolarization, and repolarization abnormalities. 15 consecutive patients were included in the study. At electroanatomical mapping before ajmaline, 7 patients, or 46.7%, showed low-frequency potentials. All patients showed high-frequency potentials before and after ajmaline and low-frequency potentials after ajmaline. Brugada syndrome patients with history of aborted sudden cardiac death and longer abnormal electrograms after adjuvening. The authors conclude that two different types of abnormal electrograms are described from Brugada syndrome high-density epicardial mapping. This might correlate with depolarization and repolarization abnormalities. The following article is Mechanism's of effects of sodium channel blockade on arrhythmogenic substrate of Brugada syndrome. 32 patients with Brugada syndrome and frequent ventricular fibrillation episodes underwent right ventricular outflow tract substrate electroanatomical and electrocardiographic imaging or ECGI mapping before and after ajmaline administration and during high-rate atrial pacing. The authors found that sodium current reduction with adjmaline severely compromises impulse conduction at the Brugada syndrome fibrotic substrates by producing fractionated electrograms, conduction block, or excitation failure, leading to the Brugada ECG pattern and the favoring ventricular fibrillation genesis. Up next is multi-site conduction block in the epicardial substrate of Brugada syndrome, the authors investigated six male patients with Brugada syndrome and a recurrent ventricular fibrillation. They found that all patients had a region in the anterior epicardial right ventricle with prolonged, multi-component electrograms. Single extra stimulation prolonged late epicardial components by 59 milliseconds and in four patients abolished epicardial components at some sites without reactivation by surrounding activation sites. These localized blocks occurred at an initial coupling interval of 335 milliseconds and then expanded to other sites, being observed in up to 40% of the epicardial sites. Atchmolin infusion prolonged electrogram duration in all and the produced a localized block in 62% of sites, in the same patients as during extra-stimulation. The authors conclude that in Brugada syndrome, localized functional conduction blocks occur in multiple epicardial sites and with variable patterns, without being reactivated from the surrounding sites. The next paper is six specific aspects of phospholamban cardiomyopathy. The importance and the prognostic value of low voltage ECGs. A pathogenic variant in a gene encoding phospholamban or PLN. A protein that reg- uh, regulates calcium homeostasis of cardiomyocytes causes PLN cardiomyopathy. It is characterized by high arrhythmic burden and, pro- and can progress to severe cardiomyopathy. The authors analyzed a multi-center cohort of nine hundred thirty three patients with the PLN P. Arginine fourteen deletion pathogenic variant following up on a recently developed PLN risk model. Of the 933 cohort members, 287, or 31%, had greater or equal to one low-voltage ECG during follow-up. Female sex, age, age at clinical presentation, and proband status predicted low-voltage ECG during follow-up. Sustained ventricular arrhythmia's free survival was the lowest in males with low-voltage ECG. The authors conclude that low-voltage ECG predicts sustained ventricular arrhythmias and are a component of the PLN risk model. Low-voltage ECGs are more common in females, yet prognostic value is greater in males. Next up is a phenotype-enhanced variant classification framework to decrease the burden of missense variants. Of uncertain significance in type 1 long QT syndrome. The purpose of this study was to determine whether a phenotype enhanced variant classification approach could reduce the variance of uncertain significance of EOS burden in long QT syndrome genetic testing. Retrospective analysis was performed in 79 KCNQ1 Midsense variants in 356 patients from Mayo Clinic and an independent cohort of 42 variants in 225 patients from Amsterdam University Medical Center. Each variant was classified initially using the ACMG guidelines and then uh, re-adjudicated using a phenotype-enhanced ACMG framework that incorporated the the long QT syndrome clinical diagnostic uh, Schwartz score plus four LQT1 defining features, which include broad-based slow upstroke T waves, syncope seizure during exertion, swimming-associated events, and a maladaptive LQT1 tremial stress test. The authors found that phenotype-guided variant adjudication decreased significantly the VUS burden of LQT1 case-derived KCNQ1 missense variants in two independent cohorts. This study demonstrates the value of incorporating LQT1-specific phenotype clinical data to aid in the interpretation of KCNQ1 missense variants identified during genetic testing for long QT syndrome. The following article is Safety and Outcome of Nurse-led Syncope Clinics and ILR Implants. A retrospective study for all consecutive patients undergoing nurse-led ILR implantations was performed between April 2016 and April 2018. A total of 432 patients within ILR were identified, including 164 or 38% from nurse-led and 268 or 62% from physician-led clinics. Overall, 156 patients or 36% had a change in management as a direct result of ILR findings with no overall differences between nurse-led and physician-led clinics. The authors conclude that nurse-led ILR implantation was safe and effective. Nurse-led syncope clinics achieved good symptom-rhythm correlation with resultant significant changes to management in comparison to physician-led clinics. Up next is Sotalol versus amiodarone for postoperative junctional tachycardia following congenital heart surgery. This is a retrospective single-center study of all patients who received IV Sotalol or IV amiodarone for postoperative junctional ectopic tachycardia, or JET. A total of 32 patients with a mean age of 71 days received either IV amiodarone or IV Sotalol. Imiodarone was successful in treating JET in 75% of cases. Sotalol was successful in 83%. The JET rate decreased faster over the first 90 minutes after sotalol bolus than after an Imiodarone bolus. No heart rate difference was seen after 24 hours. The authors conclude that for children with post-operative JET, both IV sotolo and amiodarone are safe and efficacious. IV sodolol may lead to a faster improvement in heart rate. The next paper is the pediatric t wave memory after accessory pathway ablation in Wolff-Parkinson-White syndrome. Pre and post ablation electrocardiograms in patients with less than or equal to 25 years were analyzed over a 5-year period. T-wave memory was present in 42% of pediatric patients with resolution occurring within three months of ablation. Pre-ablation QRS axis or so less than 0%, was a strong predictor of T-wave memory followed by post uh, septal pathway location. The authors conclude that T-wave memory is less common in children compared to adults, and normalization occurred within three months post-ablation. Next up is familial atrial myopathy in a large multi generational heart hand syndrome pedigree carrying LMNA missense variant in ROT2B domain, P.R335W. The purpose of this study was to characterize the atrial phenotypes and the possible mechanisms in a large Chinese family with heart-hand syndrome carrying LMNA missense variant in RAD2B domain. In the pedigree investigation, six of 13 of the mutation carriers showed heterogeneous cardiac phenotypes, and eight carriers also had brachyductyli. in silico molecular dynamics simulations predict the increasing binding energy of R335W mutant Lamin-A, Atrial cardiomyocytes expressing R335W showed abnormal nuclear morphology, comp- compromised DNA repair, and dysfunctional contraction. Adult zebrafish expressing mutant lamin A showed an uh, increased P wave du- uh, duration in the electrocardiogram, decreased peak T- uh, A wave velocity in echocardiography, and atrial lesions under the transmission. Electron microscopy. The authors conclude that the LMNA 335 w mutation leads to familial hard hand syndrome characterized by an overlapping phenotype of prominent atrial lesions and brachydactyly. The unstable lamin dimerization and impaired DNA repair are possible mechanisms underlying cardiac phenotypes. These findings consolidated the genetic role in the course uh, of atrial arrhythmias and the cardiac agent. The following article is the mechanistic insights into the interaction of cardiac sodium channel NAV 1.5 with MOG1 and the new molecular mechanism for Bugatta syndrome. MOG1 is a chaperone that binds to NAV 1.5 facilitates NAV1.5 trafficking to the cell surface and enhances the amplitude of the sodium current, INA. Large deletion analysis defined the MOG1-NAV1.5 interaction domain to amino acids S476-H585 of NAV1.5 loop 1 connecting transmembrane domains 1 and 2 microdomain and the point mutation analysis further define the domain. The primary finding is that the MOG1 NAV1.5 interaction domain is at a five amino acid motif of F530T, 531F, 532R, 533R, 534 in loop 1. Mutation P. F332C uh, associated with Bugada syndrome abolishes NAV1.5 uh, interaction with MOG1 and reduces MOG1-enhanced INA density, thereby uncovering a novel molecular mechanism for the pathogenesis of Bugada syndrome. Up next is a case report titled Bachman-Bundle Potential During Atrial Placement. A case series. The authors report a novel approach that combines fluoroscopic and electrical mapping to achieve successful Bachmann bundle pacing. The authors demonstrate a localized endocardial electrogram signature that approximates Bachmann bundle and is readily apparent on a standard electrocardiogram recording system. Pacing from an actively fixed lead. Guided by local Bachmann bundle area endocardial potential generates a normalized P wave axis, morphology, and correlates baseline inter-atrial conduction delay. This case series is the first to combine right atrial endocardial potential mapping and the pacing response to guide permanent Bachmann bundle pacing site selection. These research articles are followed by a contemporary review titled An Overview of Heart Rhythm Disorders and the Management of Myotonic Dystrophy Type 1. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm the editor in chief, Dr. Pen Chen.